Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. We have a special treat in store for you today. Our guest this week is one of those people who makes everyone around her feel better. You know, like Joey. Seriously, though, there are some people who move through this universe and spread love and joy like a wave breaking in front of them. All you need to do is get near them and it washes over you. At risk of using the wrong word here, her good vibes are nothing short of infectious. More specifically, she knows a lot about my current obsession, which is yoga. And when I say yoga, I don't just mean hatha yoga, the program of movement and postures that most people think of in the West when they think of yoga. I'm talking about yoga with a capital Y, the world's most enduring and profound spiritual and philosophical tradition. As my man Sri Aurobindo tells it, yoga is union. Yoga is expanding your consciousness to the point where you can ultimately see the reality behind the veil, behind appearances. In other words, to get to the truth about your existence. And she's going to help us get there. So let's start talking to her. At the present moment, ain't no need to fear. Linda Lalita Winnick graduated with a Master of Arts in Ayurvedic Medicine and Yoga Philosophy in 2000. She created Shakti Yoga of Woodstock, my favorite yoga studio of all time. A few years later, in order to educate students on the deeper aspects of yoga and Indian medicine, as well as to help them develop health through practicing Hatha Yoga. In addition to her classes at the studio, Linda leads teacher trainings and has taught both internationally and nationally. She was a faculty workshop teacher at the Omega Institute, which is just across the Hudson from us here for 10 years. And she studies and continues to study with well-known teachers of Ayurveda, Tantra, Vedanta, and other disciplines. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I was looking through your bio and we've talked about this before. In another life, you worked in fashion in New York City. Yes. How did you end up becoming one of Woodstock's best known yogis? Let's say I had a child and he was a year and a half and I went back into work. The work fell probably about three, six months into him being born. And I had this job with this pretty well-established company and I lost my job. And I spent a lot of my time combating like the process of losing my job. And I realized that I really liked to write. And so um, after letting them fire me, I got a um, compensation package and I took the money and I figured out my next place in life, which was that I really wanted to study Ayurvedic medicine and yoga philosophy. I'd already been practicing yoga. I was also somebody who was very interested in psychology so I was either going to go into the direction of psychology. I had gotten accepted into a doctorate program at the new school. And then I sort of went into the other path, which was more aligned with how I feel about healing and working with people, which is the more 
encompassing Ayurvedic medicine, which is Indian philosophy. <laughs> and even to give you a bigger background, how I got into Ayurveda would be a whole other podcast. The overarching topic of this season is consciousness. Yes. And from my own understanding, the different branches of yoga are all basically aimed at helping us expand our consciousness. Can you talk to us about your thoughts on consciousness and what and, and what a good yoga practice can do for it? Okay, so like I can come from the more Western perspective of it, meaning that Hatha yoga is probably the, the greatest, more accepted practice of, of yoga in the West, mostly because, again, there's a visual and a material component of it, which is using our physicality. And so Hatha yoga, H-A-T-H-A, Hatha yoga, is aligned with Tantra yoga, which means you use everything around you. I'm just giving you like the very abbreviated version of it. You use everything around you to develop consciousness, to develop awareness. So through the practice of, of Hatha yoga, we're using our body, we're helping ourselves regulate our breathing, but there's also a purification aspect to it that allows us in, in the case of Hatha yoga is to balance the opposing forces, which could be considered solar and lunar. So you're kind of trying to find this place, which in, in Sanskrit would be called Shashumna, or the middle centerpiece where energy transfers through. So again, it's kind of an esoteric practice. In our Western culture, we don't actually have that much familiarity with that. So we just sort of focus on using the yoga asana, the poses with some breath cues. And then if you have a somewhat educated yoga teacher, they will start to cue you in on some of the deeper philosophical aspects of it. So all of our, our studies have some component of Vedanta. A lot of the yoga in the West has Vedanta interwoven into the philosophy. And then you also have classical yoga, also known as Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is more of the psychological mind control aspect of the practice. But as, again, for Westerners, we sort of like the way Hatha Yoga makes us feel, right? It makes mm -hmm. us feel calm, where, say, for example, another form like Vedanta, they sort of get that feeling through discourse by reading Upanishads or studying Bhagavad Gita. And so, yes, it's all about consciousness, but I think it just also depends on where your, where your current status is with consciousness. So let's talk about Shakti. You named your studio Shakti Yoga. Shakti is a central idea in Vedanta. Can you tell us about it and why, you'd, why you named the studio Shakti Yoga? Probably for the same reason why you love Joey so much. <laughs> it's uh goddess energy that's one one reason but it, um i use shakti because it's also a tantric concept and it has 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 multiple meanings right one of the words for shakti is goddess but it's also power inner power and it's that which is part of the phenomenal world that which we can relate to that which is empirical so shakti also has a, a, a connection to another sanskrit word called prakruti which means mother nature, material world, that which you can empirically connect with. So for me to get to consciousness, we use that which is relational, right? That's what you can touch, feel, smell, hug, put into your mouth. So all these substances help you to develop this. So just like in, in Hatha Yoga and Ayurveda, you use a lot of things. We use herbs and foods and smells and colors and all sorts of things to help condition the mind. Because everything, consciousness is there, whether you believe it or not, right? Lower consciousness, our self-awareness, so, or awareness that we see. Like we're looking at a computer, I've got a dog 
wandering around in the living room. I'm, I'm aware of that. The backdrop to all of that is where when you calm all of this other stuff that keeps moving in through the sense organs, it's right there. That's me. Very hard That's to connect me. with for those who have a lot of <laughs> vrittis or waverings to their mind. And I specialize with those with the waverings. Mm-hmm. I love a person with a good vritti going on. That's most people. Even people who practice yoga for a really long time, still there. That's what makes it frustrating. This is like a 30 to 50 year mortgage that you're paying down to get into consciousness. It's not like a one-off giving them cash to buy the house. This is like a long-term project. So like my own self-inquiry has led me to the following belief and it's not original, but I have come to believe it. It's that all is consciousness. We are but a spark from the divine. The true part of you is that part of you that touches the eternal. Right. So you're talking about all the phenomenal stuff. I've come to feel that all the surface stuff, the things we are, the things we do is just a play of that consciousness, an outcome out of like one out of an infinite possible number of outcomes. You are one. I am one. Matt is one. But we are not actually the outcome. We are the possibility that makes that outcome possible. So we are not the thing that happened. We are possibility itself, mm-hmm. right? Is right. that, and I'm trying more and more to sort of what I think is reside there, right? Which is one level up from the thing that is happening. If you reside in a greater awareness, you see more possibilities, right? So you don't end up all the way yeah. down on the edge engrossed in the thing that's happening, but sort of watching it. You know, Matt was talking earlier last season about we were talking to another yoga teacher and he was talking about how can he be in a yogic stance like that without doing Hatha yoga? What do you say to someone who like he's down with this idea, but he's yoga doesn't do it. Hatha yoga doesn't do it for him. Okay. Um, What do you like? What do you like to do? Hockey. Hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Hockey. You can have the same experience with hockey. Okay. You can have it just walking down the street because it's an ad, it's perception. It's not, Hatha yoga is like one thing, right? It's just one thing. It's not like, I don't want to say it's overrated. I think it's incredibly valuable when done in a specific way. Hatha yoga is probably one of the most mutilated things out there where people, again, I, when I go to teach, I know most people don't know really what it is, right? They think it's these yoga poses. It's so much bigger than that. So it's like, yeah, you could go into that universe and practice. Maybe something good will come of it. I mean, billions of people practice it. We're still kind of a a bit of a messy organism. That being said, it depends on how you want to approach it. It's it's perception and it's a mental practice. So again, like what our our fine person over here was talking, Duff, our new guru, right? Because he's saying that's what the gurus say, right? The practice is one thing. The saying is one thing. The practice is the reality of it. But it's just how you perceive it. Like if you can take a step back, right? You're, You're doing something and you don't feel... Again, an attachment to what you do. And that's the hardest thing. It's all about that mm-hmm. attachment. I mean, what from your perspective and, and Duff's perspective, maybe I'm I'm stuck there because I'm definitely I'm a pragmatist. I believe in science. I'm 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 what you know Duff might characterize as a materialist. And and so mm-hmm. even when Duff starts talking about like these different levels of consciousness and stuff, which happens all the time, it kind of loses me. And I do think it loses a lot of people yeah. who haven't, you know, accepted this as their philosophy or as their worldview. And it, and it does just start to sound to me a little bit like, uh, you know, dogma or, or, or even, even a little bit of gibberish, to be completely frank. What is the gateway for someone who's like me? Because... 
you know, sometimes even, you know, like when Duff reads me something from, you know, Aurobindo or one of the one of the yogis or anyone he's reading, I do drift off and my eyes glaze over a little bit and I'm like, oh yeah, that it, and it sounds and it's just sounds a little bit yeah, well it's just what a little it sounds a little flaky no, to me. Sorry. And I think you you know, and I, I think it yeah. does to many people. And I'm not saying that it is, and I'm very open-minded and I want to explore this Eastern, you know, view of consciousness. And I want to, and I definitely, this season, one of my goals is to better understand it. So what's the gateway though? Like, how do you bring someone over like me who's skeptical and who's materialist and who's, um, you know, scientists, like what, how do you, how do you, how do you get us over there? Well, the thing is most of the teachers that I've had were also scientists. I don't know if I'm calling myself skeptical because I don't necessarily have negative. I'm open to that, which I don't believe. Right. So again, I'm a pretty hard sell because I study logic, background is scientific, love biology, physics, studied all of that. The reality is, do you believe in magic? Interesting. Our our previous episode was with a magician. Do I believe in magic in what, I guess it depends on how you define magic because there's magic that's, you know, you see in a magic show, which is clearly some kind of illusion. And then there's magic, which is that, you know that which we don't understand, or we, we mentioned in the last episode, the Arthur C. Clarke definition of, you know, even if you saw any ad- sufficiently advanced technology that you don't, you know, that you haven't seen before, it's indistinguishable from magic. Like if someone was transported from 500 years ago to today and saw a plane flying overhead, that's magic. So there's an, there's a certain like element of, yeah, cause it's an illusion, right? When you're, we're seeing like a magic show, it's illusion. It's somebody very crafted at doing some sort of mm-hmm. trick or like, you know, if it's a shell game, it's a scam, right? So magic has to do with like the only ability to see what you can see, right? So you see somebody like all of a sudden a dove comes out, like how do they get that dove into the handkerchief and it flies off? So like, there's a part of that that goes on. You probably, the thing is about it, Matt, is you probably can't see everything. And the problem is with the human mind is we can only perceive what we perceive. Agreed. Right. So we only, we all, we're stuck in these five senses, maybe an introduction to the, the six, which mm-hmm. is your intuition. So most of yoga is about intuition. It's like, how do you quiet yourself down? Why, why don't you just embrace the fact that you're a skeptic? Honestly, being a skeptic is a fantastic student, right? As long as you're not doubting for like the, the joy of doubting, mm-hmm. which is annoying, right? Some people you doubt, they think it's <laughs> <Yeah>. intelligence. <laughs> doubting is not intelligence. It's just like, okay, so you're just giving me a big problem, right? I don't mind. People question me nonstop. I get, I get the, the joy of teaching people. So I deal with not only skeptics, I deal with people with a lot of fear. And I'm not saying this about you, but people are very scared to lose their sense yes. of self, right? They're like, me, I know myself. I'm a hockey player. I'm a guy who does podcasts. Maybe I'm a boyfriend. Maybe I'm not a boyfriend, whatever I am. We're very attached to what we yes. are, right? And the cool thing about life, it will, it will challenge you all the time. It'll make you question, like, am I really that? Am I really that? The, the, the other thing is it's like, you can live in that. And if it creates happiness, then do not, excuse my French, don't mm-hmm. fuck with it. If you are completely finding joy, peace, and happiness in that universe, stay there. You don't need yoga, right? Yoga is for those who want to avoid suffering, right? And it's not because we're hiding underneath a, a, a screen of deification or God or Purusha or that because mm-hmm. it makes sense, you know, like for me. So I do this, like I don't recruit yeah. people, you know, I actually don't want to recruit you. I don't want, you know, I'm like, I don't care. You go there, be you. I'm over here. All right. But back to his question, because this is one that I obviously haven't answered yet. Yeah. If he says, he says, I'm open-minded here. 
give me something, whether it's a reading, an activity or something. Give me the first step into the world of Linda. What is that step? What it is, I just think like, again, if if you're somebody who knows how to observe, the first stage is just to observe things, you know, like look at things, like look at cause and effect. You know, what creates what? I mean, that's one of the, the concepts of behind yoga, cause and effect. I mean, that's probably not that exciting. I mean, what can I say? Eat a specific way? I think it's almost like, I, I think it's just a matter of questioning who you are deeply. You know, what are you besides your own identification? If you're, if you're ready to handle that, yeah. you know, because a true practice has to do with like, who am I? Who am I really? You know, what is that thing that connects other people? I think that is a really good first step because it does resonate with me, right? Is to, you know, for if if you really are a seeker and you want to understand more about your identity than like, yeah, I play hockey. I have a podcast. I, you know, like work at a company that makes virtual humans. I do, you know, the things that that kind of define you externally or in this physical world. And if you want to really unpack that, or if you want to explore that a little bit more, then this is a way to do it. These are some tools that you can use to do that. And I like what you said, where if, you know, like many people are kind of comfortable with their ego and with their identity and living in that material universe. And if so, you know, knock yourself out, go and live there in that, in that lower level of consciousness. Matt, one of the ones I brought up before, and it's one of my favorite ones, which is it, it's the easiest exercise that I now do it a lot. Ramana Maharshi, who's one of the Vedantic sages, he says, when you catch yourself sort of stuck in a, or not stuck, just when your thought is sort of pulling you into it to say, who is having this thought to yourself? You've, you've mentioned this one before and I, I, I've tried that one and it doesn't, I don't think that one works for me. I think. But it's the same as who am I? It's just a different spin on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it basically separates you from the thought. So then if you separate from the thought, so then it's like, okay, so I'm not the thought. So you're saying who is having this thought, which is essentially who am I? Yeah. And I just think it's this you know, biological creature walking around on this earth that has a brain that's developed this capability to, you know, to basically conceive of symbols. And one of those symbols is the self, as I mentioned before. And that one, you know, that that's kind of how I look at it. I was going to say the self is just like the self has to do with every cell in your body. Like the brain is like the coordinator of all the information that which, you know, get your heart beating. It's where the memories are stored. It's where the neurotransmitters gives you sensation. But you also have other parts of your body that have some other qualities, like your stomach can feel things, like you have neurotransmitters in your stomach. So your your whole being is a, is a sense organ. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like the brain is just one component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, very valuable component. The heart's another component of it. And, and like the other side is like, this is what I say to people, like not only when they're interested in this, this means that you're almost there. Like the fact that you care about this, Matt, means that you're almost there. You're just like right there because you care. Just like when like people say, like, I've had boyfriends that were skeptics. I'm like, well, why the heck you're with me? I'm a big kooky spiritual person, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, there's some sort of interest where you could tolerate me because I have strange habits. Like I have a specific diet, I have a specific way that I live. I try to keep it contained because nobody really needs to hear about it. But I think your interest means that you're there to a certain degree, which might not be valid to you. But the reality is, I don't know mm-hmm. why you would care otherwise, because guess what? Most people don't care. Most people are not trying to evolve. Like you're trying to evolve is what it sounds like. 
I'm very inquisitive in every kind of, I guess, sense of the word. And I'm definitely one of the things that I find really puzzling is, you know, the nature of reality and the nature of consciousness. And science has something to say about these things. And I accept some of it, but it definitely starts to fall really short, right? The big question. Quantum physics is pretty. Yeah. Pretty close to that. You know, that's like, again, you know, that's my biggest problem with the observation that's scientific. And this is also what makes a yogi and an Ayurvedic doctor different is that the yogi and the Ayurvedic doctor know that as the vehicle of perceiving something, you actually have to be incredibly refined. Your mind has to be incredibly pure to observe something clearly. Otherwise you're affecting what you're perceiving. Mm -hmm. So Yogis know that. Like a scientist, they can go and drink Coca-Cola, do cocaine, whatever, smoke cigarettes, whatever they do, which is going to affect your mind, right? It's going to affect you. So like those who don't do that, it's because like one of my teachers, Dr. Jay Gopal, he's an Ayurvedic doctor. You know, I try to like corrupt him with junk food. He won't do it. You know, I'm like, here, have these little pretzely things. He's like, I, and he says it with sincerity. He's like, I can't do it because it, it ruins my clairvoyance. Because part of his job is to feel your pulse. If I felt your pulse one day, Matt, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty fascinating. Well, you can feel people's psyches. You can feel their health. You can feel all the organs. So he can't use his brain properly if he's not clear. Mm-hmm. He's, part of the, he's part of what he's observing. That's a major difference is that you have to keep yourself completely tuned if you're going to do that. Is that one of the differences you think? Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. One of the things that you, you said that really resonated with me that I just kind of have been rolling over in my head and I've thought about this before but is like the the limitation that we have in perceiving the world around us as well by the fact that we you know we we mostly observe it through the five senses that we have and that there's so much else clearly going on and I mean through you know scientific advancement we've been able to expand some of those I mean for it's only been for the last couple of hundred years that we've even known about things like the world of the very small using microscopes and really about the very large using telescopes, but not just through visual telescopes, but through radio telescopes and, you know, gamma ray telescopes and, and, and being able to perceive things that extend beyond our senses. But there's always a limitation to that because it's still going through our eyes and being interpreted with our brains. And so we're trying to understand something using the tools that are doing the understanding. They're faulty. Yeah. They're faulty. And then you have this thing called the brain that's organizing it. Yeah. And again, your brain is only as good as there's not a lot of interference with that, which is like memory and, and memory has its own faults. Yeah. And then, you know, our defense mechanisms and our mm-hmm. biases. Right. And for that's one of the reasons I left science, at least psycho- psychological science from experimental, because it was the way that they organize information is just based on experiments that somebody else did, that somebody else did that validates what they did. But even though it might not be a good experiment, but you just repeat things over and over again. So for me, it was like, really? It's like, and also just a minuscule amount of, of uh, study to use it against a whole backdrop of like people. So it's limited. Yeah. Limited. You don't know what you don't know, right? That's the, what you're saying. I would submit that the yogis have known about the smaller than the small and the larger than the large for thousands of years. Yeah. Material science, Western science is discovering what the yogis have already known. Well, I mean, you, that's a pretty bold claim. I mean, certainly like maybe theorizing about it, but. It's pretty, it's pretty established. I mean, it's been pretty established and science are kind of bowing to it because it's almost embarrassing for them. But the thing is because 
I will say this out of compassion for humans. Most human beings will not do what it takes to get what they call them rishis, R-I-S-H-I, apostrophe S or S. Rishis or great seers, S-E-E-R, right? So people who can see, they have this capacity because they refine themselves, right? Most people, that's why most people won't do certain things that are health-wise like herbs and diet because it's hard, right? A pill is easy. Right to look through microscopes, easy to develop yourself as a human and have this extraordinary power, which is available to everybody. Right, if you want to do what it takes, you don't want to do what it takes. You don't get the results of that. So that's what I'm saying: action result, foggy life, overdrive nervous system. Your nervous system will not function properly. Your sight, your everything will just be wired as a as a frazzle. And so like people who take care of themselves, they just have a different perception. And I've, the only thing is because I've seen it. I've seen things that blow my mind. Not like so, like in the sense where people can look at a car and lift it with their eyes. But I've, you know, I've been around people that say really profound, interesting things. And so I've studied with lots of great teachers. So like for me, that's one of the keys is I've had all these great teachers had access to them. That's a great point. There's the guru principle, which is like, you don't know what you don't know. You need teachers. One of the things I think that we do in the West, like once we're out of our education system, I, for my part, I didn't, I didn't have teachers most of my life. I thought I was done being taught. Mm -hmm. Right. So you end up, you end up where you end up. Well, you just, well, yeah, you read books or nowadays you Google it, right? You want to know the answer to something, just Google it. And then you feel like, you know, the answer. We should have more teachers. I came from that point when I said you have to go get the librarian to give me the microfiche. So like I did a lot of study and I, when I started studying this, it was, it was less common. It was, even though it was only 20 something years ago, it was like, it was not easy to get. But like, so when I would go meet with a teacher, I'd have to prepare a lot. So I'd understand them because most of them were Indian, thick accents, and they spoke in lots of Sanskrit. So I was like, whoop. So I had to like really study this, but being a skeptic or questioning, doubtful, perfect, right? Cause that means you're, 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 you're listening to what they're saying you're putting it through the brain. You're trying to figure it out. This is a wrangling thing. This is like what you have to wrangle and you have to almost wrestle with it because it's, um, it's not easy and it's not, it's not designed for easy consumption, right? You don't take the pill. That's one thing I would say the biggest criticism I have with how yogis are trained in the West or people who are yoga teachers is that they're just getting it in there and they're just putting it in their mouth and they're swallowing it. They're not thinking about what people are saying. You have to toss it around. You have to bring it through every reasoning you know, faculty you have, right? Because you have mm-hmm. one and you don't have to suck it up. You can be like, well, that's bullshit. Like, what are you saying? Right? And the thing is like with the Aurobindus and the Shivanandas, it's the people that I, I still read their books. I'm like, you, you're talking to people who already understand this. You mm-hmm. will never be the bridge because it's, it's like all the way over there. You need it for like right here for people who are like, I don't get this. I'm confused. I want to get this. I don't get this. Right. So again, it's just more like you have to find what you will do to get there. And again, question it, question yourself, question, who am I? If you can, if your ego can handle it, that's a hard question. Who am I? Cause your ego is going to be like, fuck, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. And then all of a sudden the yogi goes like, phew, I'm a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I don't have to, it's I don't have to, and it's not like you don't deal anymore. You deal with the most efficiency because you are no longer getting in the way of what you're doing because we get in the way of what we do because it means too much. It means so much. Me in the front of the class, I teach so many classes. I'm like, as long as I'm not in the way, 
I could do it. If I'm in the way, like, how do they think about me? Am I being charming? Is I, am I saying it properly in Sanskrit? Did I, did I do well? Right? I've gotten in my way. And that's going to that's gonna screw up my, my work. Right? Just like helping people. Am I helping you? I want, I want to help you the way I want to help you. That's the worst way someone can help you. You need to help them the way they need to be helped. How do I need to help you? How can I help you? Just like at McDonald's. How can I help you? Right? <laughs> McDonald's of the soul. <laughs> Let's open a McDonald's of the soul. Shakti Yoga Woodstock. Yeah. The McDonald's of the soul. There you go. Rebranded. Oh, the, the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Matt, I, I see Linda all the time. You got a final question for her? No, no, no. This has been fascinating. I mean, I it gives me a lot to think about. And I really like the approach that you have taken, you know, to, to this conversation with me as well. Um, I, I appreciate that. I could totally like, again, you can ask me questions. I'm like, again, I nerd out on this, but I'm also somebody who likes to deal with people who are like, I don't get what you're talking about. Give me like the most toughest circumstance, physically, mentally, because it keeps me interested. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes me have to work harder as a teacher because I have to go like, okay, how do I connect? ShaktiYogaWoodstock.com. Look her up. Thank you, Linda. We love you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Take care, Matt. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Krishna Das. You know, it's really weird. I think he must be the most popular, at least in this country, singer of Eastern hymns and chants. He's got that deep voice. Most people have probably heard him somewhere. Joey used to play him when we were doing yoga. I had no idea who it was. I do now. He's great. Doesn't ring a bell over here. Krishna Das. Look him up. So that was an interesting interview. Linda's great. And she and her partner, Selena Reynolds, different teaching styles, but they're both wonderful. So I have a Oriabindo quote that hopefully doesn't lose you that touches on the thing you said before. So we don't know what we don't know. Here he's talking about expansions in consciousness. And he says, mark too that each of the great radical steps forward already taken by nature. Here he's talking about matter to life to mind right, has been infinitely greater in its change, incalculably vaster in its consequences than its puny predecessor. There is a miraculous opening to an always richer and wider expression. There is a new illuminating of the creation and a dynamic heightening of its significances. And what he's talking about there is what happens when consciousness expands, right? So think of uh, plant to animal, your basic reflex-based animal, and then animal to man, so when you went from a animal that was basically worked on reflex and instinct, and then man became the reflective, you know, writing poetry, the poetry writing man compared to the animal in the woods, right? The gap between those two is almost so big as to be called infinite, right? Like, a, and also a, a plant to a, an animal, right? It's, it's like a phase change, I wouldn't call it infinite. I would just say it's such a long, it was just such a long evolutionary process that it's too hard for us to almost to grasp. But to me, there's like a chasm. It's like, do you, I look at my cats and I think of them having a conversation about Dylan, right? And it's like, what? Like, how do you, 
how do you get from there to here? Right. And the next one up per the yogis here is from mental man to spiritual man. And what Oriabindo is saying there is it's another, it's going to be another shift that will make mental man seem puny in comparison. That to me is the lure of Okay. Of this. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, she's great. She's got a great way of ex- of discussing yoga, right? And what its implications are. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I really, really like that conversation. And just so, you know, I'm glad that we could have such a candid conversation about how do you get somebody like me over there, right? I've been looking at it less and less. I used to look at it more like, oh, it's Kool-Aid that needs to be consumed, but I'm looking at it less and less like that now. And, you know, I'm opening up my mind to it a little bit. more. Okay. So I think she made a great point. So if the, who is having these thoughts doesn't work for you, her, who am I thing? It's all about detachment, right? So basically any way during your day that yeah. you can disengage, not entirely check out, like you still need to do what you're doing, right? Yeah. Any way during your day that you can find to sort of do a zoom out, I would have thought of it as a passive move. Like, why do you want to do that? You want to be in the thing, right? But there's a way mentally that it's basically what yoga is, is essentially to watch what you're doing while you're doing Mm -hmm. it. That detachment from the self, I'm finding really interesting. and No, it's the self-detaching from the activity. Sure, but well, I'm I'm talking about actually erasing the concept of self. Okay, so you're talking about small self-ego, right? There's big, there is the eternal self. Sure, you can call it whatever you want. I'm talking about, I'm talking about this concept of yourself, right? Your ego, right? And I'm reading, I think I told you I'm reading Michael Pollan's um, How to Change Your Mind right now. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm finding it really interesting because he came from a very similar worldview that I have, like very scientific, materialistic, you know, pragmatic worldview. And through hallucinogenics and research into hallucinogenics, it seems like I'm only I'm only about 100 pages in, but it seems like he has opened up his own self. I thought how to change your mind was more just about the therapeutic uses of hallucinogenics, which the research has started again after being kind of shuttered in the 60s with Timothy Leary and so on. But it's more how he's saying, like, I, I think where he's going with it is how it ends up changing his worldview. Totally. And and to me, it's like, if you know, I came clean in a couple articles also in Tickled about my own use of hallucinogenics. We've, you know, some of us have done it for partying, but in more recent years, I've realized what the hallucinogenics do is lift the filter and give you a a sort of take ego out of it for just a second or for however long that trip is. And you basically get a more unfiltered view. Oh, this is what it might look like if Duff wasn't in the way of all this. And and so basically, same point there. Joey's read it. I haven't read it. It's basically the view you get there is the view that suggests to you that there is a detachment that you can make, right? Yes. That's what what the hallucinogenics point to, that you can do something. And drugs, basically, the drugs just do it uh, automatically. It's not lasting. It's not enduring. But they say, this is what this looks like. Yoga is essentially trying to do that via 
you know, practice and discipline. Dropping acid seems a lot easier than a lifetime of yoga. It doesn't last. That's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, only yeah, lasts as long as the second set of the dead shout. He actually, he actually deals with that as well and says that it, it completely doesn't last. And, you know, even the people when they use it therapeutically, like part of it, it needs to be used with counseling and with, a, you know, basically with like a, uh, a tour guide. Not only during the trip, but before, during, and after. Yes, I won't argue with that, but that's the expert culture trying to suggest that experts are necessary. I think that you, we all know people, like you don't need to go hire some person with a credential. There are people that we all know in this culture that can be helpful with that, sound baths, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to finish this book. And I want to talk about it a little bit more as well. I'm sure it will actually, you know, weave in and out of some of my conversations in this podcast. I'd love to get Michael Pollan on here. That would be amazing. Michael Pollan, if you're listening, of course you're listening. We want to talk to you. All right. So I've got one for you. This one I discovered last week, I think. I was reading something. What I was reading is not important. So you know what latent means, right? Yeah. Existing, but not yet manifest. They talk about latent parts of you. Yeah. Latent potential. Latent potential. Latent all that potential stuff. In, a, in a spring. Yeah. Latent energy. It means hidden or concealed, uh, hidden in Latin from the verb latere. So you also know what a patent is, right? People patent things in law because they've, uh, you know, the law says that they've created something original that you can see. This thing isn't hidden. So I realized that we have a pronunciation shift over time. Latent becomes patent. Mm -hmm. We say patent. So I looked up patent or patent. Mm -hmm. The second definition of it that isn't the sort of legal one is easily recognizable or obvious lying open versus latent, which is hidden. So latent, Mm -hmm. something that is latent if it manifests, will then becomes patent. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good one. All right. Full marks for that right? one. Also, I have heard, you know, like the the shiny leather shoes that one wears with a tuxedo, which is spelt the same way, I patent believe. Patent leather, right? But I have heard people call those patent leather. Okay. Almost like those are patent leather shoes. I'm not sure whether I was hearing somebody mispronounce it, but I think I was probably in like a Sid Silver you know, uh, like I think I was talking to a to a to a tuxedo person who was like, "Would you like the patent leather shoes as well to go with?" That? I wonder if that means because they're so shiny, you can see it's them. So obviously leather, like your latent leather shoes are just like the sort of dull black leather, but patent leather are the shiny ones. <laughs> it's not hidden. No, I am not we're, hiding we're, yeah. my leather shoes, baby. All right, so I think it's that time of the podcast that we should go talk to Joey about uh, yoga and Linda Winnick. And let's go see what the, as, as Linda told us, let's go see what the goddess energy has to say about this. Welcome back to everybody's favorite segment of this podcast. What would Joey do? Welcome back, Joey. Thank you, Duff. I'm happy to be here. This week, we are talking yoga and Vedanta and uh, speaking to Linda Winnick of Shakti Yoga in Woodstock, the studio we go to the most if and when we're going to studios. We haven't been 
since the pandemic, less out of uh, fear of COVID, I would say, than a desire not to do a yoga class wearing a mask. And of course, they have to be cautious. But that aside, Linda, I think she's one of the best. Well, no, she is one of the best, if not the best yoga teacher I've ever had. What do you think of her as a teacher? I agree with you 100%. Like she's got such knowledge of the body and yoga and she's a great teacher. Like she's, I've never seen anyone teach that didn't have sort of a, a, at least some, a prepared sort of flow and she can just do it off the cuff. (laughs) And she saved my sacrum. Um, I love her and I love her studio and I think she's a blessing. She named her studio Shakti Yoga which um, when I asked her about it, she said it's for the reasons that I think of you, the goddess energy. If you open your own yoga studio, what are you going to call it? Duffs. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't ever thought about opening my own yoga studio. So uh, I don't know. Sorry, this is imaginary. I'm not actually thinking you are, but I want the name right now. The Rockledge Prema Yoga Studio. Prema is a Sanskrit word for love. Perfect. Just like the rest of you. Thank you, Jogi. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jeff. Closing out Matt's favorite segment of every episode, our quote from Sri Aurobindo. This one is on point for today, very much in keeping with the conversation. And, and here he is. All yoga starts from the perception that what we are now, or rather what we perceive as ourselves and so-call, is only an ignorant and partial and superficial formulation of our nature. It is not our whole self. It is not even our real self. It is a little representative personality put forward by the true and persistent being in us for the experience of this brief life. We not only have been in the past and can be in the future, but we are much more than that in the present secret totality of our being and nature. Especially, there is a secret soul in us that is our true person. There is a secret self that is our true impersonal being and spirit. To unveil that soul and that self is of the most important movements of yoga. That is what we are trying to do here. Or at least me. Matt is considering it. Thank you for listening. (laughs) We will be back with you next week. Bye-bye. After present moments, traveling town to town, the mystery of emotion, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. 
The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.